Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Holy crap on a cracker, we got a basketball game tonight, folks. Took all week, but we got to another one. Unbelievable. Slowest playoffs ever. 210.5 the total. Celtics favored by 3.5 at home. Money's been relatively split to this point. And, uh, you know, this is odds makers basically saying we think we got this thing more or less licked. But you go ahead, you dive in, you do what you want. We got the total right. We've had the total called right in each of the first five ball games, and I honestly believe that it's just getting harder in each one. We had really strong takes on probably three of the first four games, and then game five it was like, uh, probably under, because we figured that would be Boston's adjustment. And then with this one, you got to look at it again and say, okay, well, what went right, what went wrong in the last ball game that got it only to 198 in a game where, frankly, offensively at least, teams could have been better. We'll start with pace. First of all, Warriors had 104 points, 88 field goal attempts, only six turnovers and 15 free throws. So pretty much everything they did ended in a shot at the bucket. You're talking just a shade over 100 possessions on Golden State side. Boston out-rebounded the Warriors 47-39, but had 18 turnovers. Um did ultimately have more possessions because we're counting the turnovers as a possession. So the rebounds that tips the scale a bit in uh, in Boston's favor. And so they were more in the neighborhood of like 108, roughly. And that gives you about 209, 210 possessions in the ballgame, which is where the total set at. So our thought process has to be, do, do the teams have a better offensive showing here in game six? than they had in Game 5. Do the Celtics shoot the ball better? Do they shoot their free throws better? Are their turnovers a little bit lower? Do we see the teams make more three-pointers? I think a lot of folks are going to gravitate towards the over after seeing Steph Curry in particular have a very poor shooting ball game for the first time in the series, really. But I think we also have to remember is that Klay Thompson finally had a better ball game. Gary Payton, the second, had a really nice ball game. Andrew Wiggins was fantastic. Jordan Poole had 14 points in 14 minutes. So you can't just say, well, Steph was bad, so the Warriors will score more in the next one. If Steph is better, it may also accompany guys like Wiggins, Peyton, Thompson, whatever, those dudes playing worse on offense. These things have a way of kind of balancing out beyond just one individual player. Which is why, in my estimation, and especially with this game in Boston, you get the feeling that Celtics don't want it fast. They want a slow ball game. They got the pace they wanted in that last one. They just couldn't capitalize, mostly because they had a dozen extra turnovers. Time Lord being banged up is not helpful. He's just not going to be right in this series. And, you know, we can try to sort of accommodate for that. But also, you know, like Marcus Smart was pretty good in Game 5 in Golden State. Tatum was a little better, missed his free throws, but overall was a little better. But Jalen Brown was bad. And again, these things just sort of come towards the middle. You want to look at the overall package, which was, why did Boston miss all these free throws and commit all these turnovers? Boston will have less. Warriors will have more turnovers in this one, just, I think, by sort of a byproduct of switching venues. And, and I don't know that 
the Celtics are going to have 16 more free throws than the Warriors, but they're probably going to shoot better than 68% on them. But look, I know most of you guys are listening to this show to get to the fantasy stuff, so we're not going to uh, mill around here on Game 6 of the Finals for too long, other than, you know, it's the Finals. We get one game to talk about every other week, seemingly, right now. And so I do think it worth taking a peek at. Uh, I, I don't feel strongly about any betting lines on this one. I think if I was looking at the total, I would probably look back at the under again. Boston seems to be kind of in control of the pace right now. Uh, and yes, while I do think Boston is more effective on offense, you probably see the Warriors a little bit less so. And there was still a dozen point wiggle room in that last ball game that even if, you know, even if they do score an extra six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 points, whatever, that still puts us a little bit underneath it. There's going to be, well, you know what? I don't think there is, actually. I don't think that there's going to be any kind of value bubble left here in this game or the next game. There's just sort of not enough time left. And then as far as the side goes, I don't know. I got this weird feeling the Warriors wrap it up, but I just don't know. I really don't know. I've been, I've been way off on the sides, and I'm probably, you know, best to just leave those alone. But as far as the total goes, you're seeing the general slowdown of a playoff series. The later it goes, the slower it gets. It really is. Look, if this one's going to go over, you're going to need good offense. You're going to need good shooting to get there because the speed of the game is probably not going to do it. Okie dokie. Utah Jazz today on the podcast. By the way, it's Fantasy NBA Today, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in, enjoying this thing through the offseason. We are just a shade more now than halfway through the month of June, and I continue to be blown away by the fact that you know, we're on pace to, again, have a slight uptick, even over last month. And May had 31 days. I guess we'll see how June actually shakes out. Uh, next week, we'll talk a little bit of draft stuff. I, I promise we'll get something going there. We'll, we'll, it won't be me, because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about about the draft, and I'm not going to lie to you guys. But someone, many someones that I know, do. And so, you know, we'll go that route. But for now, we still got teams to break down, and the Jazz are... Only interesting because of the rumor mill. Because from a contractual standpoint, Jazz aren't going anywhere. All of their money is already locked up for this coming year. The, you, uh, what is it? I think it's the nine most expensive contracts on the Jazz still there, season over season. Gobert, $3 million raise. Donovan Mitchell, $2 million raise. Conley, $2 million raise. Boyan Bogdanovich, $1 million raise. Clarkson, $1 million raise. Royce O'Neal, half a mil. So Utah's already got about 150 mil tied up for this season. They still have a ton tied up even for next year, but they're trying to move Rudy Gobert. That's the rumor right now. Still, that's easier said than done. Dude's got $160 million left on his deal over four additional seasons, and we've already seen as great as Rudy is during the regular season, and there are very few guys that have as great an impact defensively as Rudy, and as, you know, we like to spread the defensive player of the year wealth around, but he deserves to be in the top couple every season because a Utah team that is atrocious on the perimeter defensively still wins ball games because Rudy stops people from getting easy buckets by himself. The problem is that during the postseason, you can't just let people get past you on the perimeter. It's too much to ask of a center, those high-intensity games, and then other teams will just bring him out to the edge. That's what the Clippers did. Just brought him out to the three-point line and then roasted him. 
And if there's no, I mean, at that point, there's no line of defense. At least with some teams, maybe you bring the center out to the edge. There's someone that can slide back. There's the perimeter players are actually fighting a little bit. Utah had no fight around Gobert, and they just rely on him to pick up the mess. But it's an offensive league now, he said, while the two teams with, what, two of the three best defenses in the NBA are in the finals at the moment. From a, we want our fans in the arena and we want to win regular season game standpoint, you need offense. Still, you know, as much as they, as we hear Rudy is is on the block, I mean, what team is going to take on that contract? It's not Westbrookian. It's not John Wallian in that, like, it's completely useless. This is a dude that's going to win a lot of ballgames for a team, again, during the regular season, but that matters. Got to get to the playoffs to try to win playoff games and so forth. But it's just a lot. (laughs) You know, that's not great analysis. It's just a lot. It's 160-plus million over the next four years still. I mean, this is this is a five-year deal, if, if I'm not mistaken. This was the first season of it. And I know Gobert and Donovan Mitchell aren't best buds and all that stuff and, you know, whatever. But I don't know. I don't know how you build around Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich. You ain't going to stop anybody. They're going to lose every game 125 to 120 next year if Gobert's not there. At least now they win them 125 to 120. From a fantasy standpoint, the Jazz were a much easier team to handicap. Gobert was a second rounder per game. Donovan Mitchell actually had a really good season after pretty much being kind of marooned in the like 40 range for uh, many years, continually getting drafted at 30 and then underperforming by a round and a half. This season, he cranked it up to number 24. Largely, I mean, you know, we're talking about minimal changes season over season. He shot 1% better from the field, which made his, I mean, his point total stayed almost exactly the same because his free throws actually came down by 1.3 per ball game. Uh, Three-pointers stayed the same. Rebounds were the same. Assists were the same. The only difference for Donovan Mitchell that moved him from number 45 to number 24, pretty much the only difference, yes, the field goal percent being a little better, was useful, turned it from a, a... substantial negative into only a smaller negative was the fact that his steals jumped from slightly above league average, but kind of sub league average for a guard to elite. And I don't know if that sticks year over year. Uh, the Donovan Mitchell 1.5 steals per ball game felt, I don't know, a little bit fluky. He did it his first year in the league. He was at 1.4, actually his second season, the two COVID years, if you want to call it that, the 72 gamers, he had one steal per ball game, and his minutes didn't change at all. So who, which Donovan Mitchell will it be? Because this one, that 1.7 defensive stats instead of 1.2, that's a probably early third rounder. And whatever they do with Rudy Gobert, I don't think it's going to change Donovan Mitchell's outlook all that much. Uh... We've also seen him start to miss a couple ball games the last two years after being hyper durable his first three. Missed three games, five games, three games his first three years in the NBA, and then the last couple, 19 and 15. And 15's not a big deal. Like we talked about, that was pretty much uh, 
league average this year. He was 24 uh, by what? 24 by totals. Am I getting this right? Messing up some of my numbers here. Um, where does that put him on a totals basis? Uh, all these darn things. It resorted while I'm right in the middle of a podcast. Don't resort, you damn dumb thing. Uh, 24 by averages and 26 by total. So again, 67 games was pretty much league average this year. Still, you know, you're going to pay a premium on Donovan Mitchell. You're probably going to have to draft him at the end of the second round, meaning I think he probably takes a tiny step back or maybe just holds steady in the mid to late 20s. But he's going to have to get up around 70 games to beat his ADP. Gobert, similar story. He did finally miss a few games this year. He'd actually been a, a pillar of health and consistency of late, uh, but had to take a little bit of time off. Still, he was same general guy. Blocks were a tiny bit lower. Rebounds were a little bit higher. Field goal percent was a little bit better. You know what you're getting out of Rudy Gobert. He's going to be a second rounder on a per-game basis. And typically, he's at or above league average in games played. This year, he was pretty much right at that number, which made him a second rounder late second, early third, by totals as well. I have to believe that anywhere Gobert ends up, somebody paying him $40 million, he's going to play 30-plus minutes per ballgame. So this profile for Rudy, to me, you know, I'm not super worried about it changing based on where he is. Let's just assume he stays in Utah, but again, I don't think it matters. Maybe it matters a little bit for the other guys on the team. Like, if he gets moved and no center comes back, for sure, Hassan Whiteside would be the obvious first grab, but I don't think he gets more than about 22, 23 minutes anyway. They'll go small. They'll pivot into a different type of basketball if Gobert's not there. A Whiteside just is, simply isn't good enough to warrant that time on the floor. And Quinn Snyder walked away from the team, so whoever comes in and readjusts, it'll be a different kind of basketball anyway. A couple of notables, Mike Conley, 72 out of 82 games played this year at number 67 on a per-game basis, so actually number 53 by totals, thanks to the overperformance in durability. His other stuff, um, you know, not no, no big red flags with Conley. His scoring was down, just 13.7 points per game. The steals were good. Everybody had a lot of steals this season for some reason because they allowed defenses to get away with a little more. I don't know. 2.33s, 5.3 assists. Field goal percent, I wish that was a little bit better. Free throw percent, I also kind of wish that was a little bit better. I don't know that it's something that we can bank on, but it is a way to look at it and say, well, maybe here's something that could be uh, just the tiniest bit improved for Conley. We've seen him over his career. He's an 82 percenter, generally in the low to mid 80s lately. So this was his lowest free throw shooting season since 2010. So that could be a little bit better. But it was also his lowest scoring season since 2012. So he is certainly on that part of the career arc, meaning the minutes are probably going to be around 28 to 29. He's not going to be in the 30s anymore because they want to keep his body from falling apart at the seams. Uh, Say the free throws get a tiny bit better. Steals, those hold steady. You could see him climbing into the high, into the late 50s on a per game. So he might end up being an interesting roto grab. Put Mike Conley down on the board uh, in our list of, he probably, what was his ADP this season? Mike Conley's ADP was 91 this year. 
So there was an expectation there a big drop off was coming and I didn't see anything that made me think a huge drop off is on the way. He probably isn't as healthy next year as he is this season, but still if you can get him, you know, later than 75 or 80 again, why wouldn't you? And then nobody else on the Jazz had fantasy value this year, at least when from a per game standpoint, you know, uh Jordan Clarkson played in 79 games. Royce O'Neal played in 77. So those guys crept onto the board by totals. But they're still not really guys that you're rolling out in every ball game happily. Royce O'Neal is number 130 per game this year. Boyan Bogdanovich was number 141. That's the guy that you look at. If this team does go small, you'd see more opportunities for rebounding for Bogdanovich. Not that that's something that he's particularly particularly good at so I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on a big boy on rebounding surge but if you take the guy out of the equation that grabs 15 rebounds a game other guys are going to have to grab a few more and you know I mean this was actually an okay rebounding season for Bogdanovich at 4.3 but if that even got up to like 4.5 or 4.6 those little things do matter the other way that Bogdanovich gets back into the equation is, first of all, he needs to get back up near 90% of the foul line. Not that that's something you can bank on, but 86, as good as it is, isn't going to get it done. Uh, and it's got to be better than 45.5% shooting from the field. It's got to be more like that crazy last season in Indiana when he shot 50% from the field. I don't think that's coming. He's a 46%er in his career. I would be happy with 47 or 48. And if you combine that... With free throws back it up at 88 or 89, that's how he probably gets right near the edge of the top 100. I'm still not drafting him in, a, in almost any format, honestly. I mean, head-to-head, maybe you could look at it because he's a guy that's going to play probably 30 minutes of ball game. You roll him out there every day. Percentages are decent. Not great, but decent, certainly. They get the job done. Good free throw, fine field goal. And he gets you points and threes relatively late in a draft, which are the points in particular are kind of hard to find later in drafts. He makes more sense from that standpoint, but on the Roto side, he's just not doing enough. And that's why Utah's kind of an easy team to handicap, at least, you know, from a, a team breakdown standpoint. For, I think, two or three seasons in a row, I've called them one of the most boring fantasy teams in the NBA because every once in a while, we can be like, oh, you know, uh, Donovan Mitchell was out, so Jordan Clarkson has a week of usefulness. And it does tend to correspond. When Donovan Mitchell's out, Mike Conley gets a whole lot better. Jordan Clarkson gets a whole lot better. The only things to monitor with Utah are injury streams. We call them, as we've talked about, streams of opportunity. Opportunity streams versus schedule streams. Schedule, fine, whatever. Every team is on the board for that in head-to-head. You're always looking at for, for those periods of advantageous number of games per number of days opportunity streams utah when healthy none gobert mitchell conley those are the guys you can start nobody else but when someone's down when gobert's down you look at Whiteside. when donovan mitchell's down you look at well not only does conley get a bump but that's kind of built into his overall season numbers but jordan clarkson moves from outside the cut line to startable When a bunch of guys are out, Royce O'Neal, we saw him actually move inside the top 100 when he had more than five and a half shots per game. He had to take like seven shots per game and he grabbed six rebounds instead of five. Those little things 
which basically, I mean, a lot of that corresponded to Rudy Gobert. Gobert out, team went small, so O'Neal had to do more big man type of stuff, and that got him over that cut line. But those guys don't need to be drafted. Those guys are going to be on and off the waiver wire six, seven times over the course of a season, maybe more. And frankly, they're going to get drafted. Boyan and Clarkson will get drafted because they scored 18 and 16 points last year, respectively. Royce O'Neal probably won't, even though he was actually a 9-cat ranked higher than those other guys. But Bogdanovich and Clarkson are going to be drafted, even though, frankly, they shouldn't be. Clarkson shouldn't be on a team unless someone's hurt. I know he was durable and he was again, but I don't care about that. I don't need a durable top 160 on my head-to-head team. I'll take durable top 75. Those guys and above are really useful because they're moving the ball forward. Even if we said top 100 was the average fantasy stream player, durable top 100, terrific. I'll take it. Durable top 160, 140, 130? No, that's not good enough. I want those guys for the one week, the two weeks, whatever it is, five games, where they are inside the top 90. That's where they're useful. Head-to-head stream, Fine schedule, opportunity, whatever it might be. Opportunity streams, I think, generally more important on the Roto Games Cap side because you want all your Games Cap stuff. You want every performance to be a top 75 performance or better. You can't do it, but that's what you're striving for. And then kind of who cares about anything else with Utah? If Gobert gets shipped out, something substantial will be coming back, so it'll be a full tear, like, handicapping teardown not the team we'll have to reassess everybody but that's a hard contract to move I'm going to assume he's still be there next season how will a new coach change things we shall see right now it was spread the floor and fire on offense a lot of three pointers and then on defense it was well I'm going to convince these guys to try to try but I think even Quinn Snyder was like look they're not listening to me anymore I don't have a perimeter guy on my team who's bothering to stay in front of somebody Utah got selfish this year, man, and everybody could see it. If we can see it from the outside at just a glance, can you imagine what's going on inside that locker room? Oof. Oof. I shudder at the thought. Reminder to follow our guys over on the baseball and football side. Baseball in full swing here, and football coming before basketball. It's on the horizon. J.P. Sticko, S-T-I-C-C-O on Twitter. J.P. Sticko, Joe Orico, 99 on Twitter. O-R-R-I-C-O, 99 on Twitter. Follow those guys. Joe is 30 from 1,000. Incredible. J.P.'s on the climb, man. It's hard, that first couple hundred. But he's putting out cool stuff right now. He's got, he's got football 101 going on on Twitter, which is actually really useful because I don't know what the hell is going on with this sport. For three years, I've said I'm going to join a free fantasy football league, and for three years, I've failed to do so. But maybe this is the time now, because now I got JP to guide me through. I did it with baseball. I've been in a baseball league for a decade, and I never log in, so I'm always in last place. Uh, But this year, I'm right in the middle of the pack, which I feel pretty good about, considering my draft was horrible. I did zero draft prep. I've mostly just followed Joe's threads and his weekly article on guys to pick up. And then I'm trying to learn how to stream starters in baseball because it's a Roto League. I I can't keep up in the innings pitched cap. I don't know how you do it. You need like eight starters 
because nobody goes more than five and two-thirds in the modern baseball world. Which, by the way, I'm not complaining. I don't give a crap. I like baseball. Everybody's always complaining about how, how things are not the same in sports. Yeah, dude, things change in all facets of life. Embrace it. Enjoy it. And enjoy the finals game. Will the Warriors wrap it up? Will the Celtics extend it, send it back to San Francisco? Those are the only two questions that matter. Because now I'm a talking head. All right, well, enjoy the game. Uh, back at you tomorrow. Uh, by the way, this is off-season episode 49 today. Off-season episode number 50 tomorrow, Friday, June the 17th. Uh, we will do one more team. I didn't bother to look at the standings and find out who comes after Utah. Uh, and if the finals keep going, we'll give a quick little look back on that ball game tonight. That'll roll you through the weekend. And then next week, again, we'll have a couple folks on to talk NBA draft. I believe that's a week from today. Cool, cool. I'm Dan Baspers for Fantasy NBA Today, a sportsethos.com presentation. Hasta mañana.